The verdict was guilty. Case closed, the end. No chance for me to ever leave this prison of my sin. Now I know it might seem crazy, but one day a key unlocked that cell. I heard a small voice say, your debt's been paid by somebody else. And now I'm walking, walking, walking free. No more Nothing perfect. I still stumble every single day. I still get knocked down, but the difference now is that's not where I stay. Cause I've got a savior who knows everywhere I've been. And he's done me that I never have to go back there again. So now I'm walking, walking, walking free. No more darkness. Look up and see your victory is just up ahead. Cause there is a savior who knows everywhere you've been. And he's telling you that you never have to go back there again. So if you know that you never have to go back there again, then sing out walking, walking, walking free. No more How about that Ben Medlin singing? Wasn't that good? That was a blessing. Thank you so much, Ben. That was a blessing. I want to welcome to East Hazelwood Baptist Church this morning. In my hand is the proposed budget for the 2022-2023 church year, and those are put out uh, throughout the church building. Uh, two weeks prior to our business meeting, which will be August 28th, uh, Budget Finance Committee will be meeting in the conference room. If you have any questions about that, and then we'll vote on this budget on August the 28th. Um, that, that Sunday, we'll also have a baptism. We've had some uh, young people make decisions for Christ at VBS, and we'll have a baptism on that Sunday. If you need to be baptized or would like to be baptized, please contact the church office 
um, uh, any of the staff so that we could schedule uh, your baptism. Just a reminder that baptism by immersion after salvation and going through the church, do, uh, church membership class is a requirement for membership. So if you're interested in church membership, uh, please contact me. You can take the little care card inside your bulletin and fill that out and uh, put it in the offering plate back there so that we could have a record of that as well. Just whatever works best for you. But right now we want you to stand with a smile on your face and welcome one another to the house of the Lord this morning.
Amen. Church, I want to challenge you this morning. I have something I want to share with you if you'll look on the screen. This year, our theme for Sunday school, and I hope it's a theme for your life, for 2022-2023, Jesus first. The scripture says in Matthew 6, 33a, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let me challenge you to come this morning to seek him first. If you'll seek him first in your life, he'll bless you. If you seek him first and you put him first in your family, he'll bless you. Put him first in your church life, in your worship, in your Bible study. Let me challenge you this morning to come. If you're a Sunday school teacher, I want to challenge you to come this morning. This is going to be our theme. You're going to hear it throughout the year, and there's going to be a lot more details we're going to be sharing with you. Jesus was saying about seeking first his kingdom. We're going, to, we're going to define that throughout this year. We're going to challenge you in God's word to seek him first. You know, when you look into the perfect law of liberty, which is God's word, he begins to speak to your heart and say, I need to seek you, Lord. I need to seek after you. I need my heart abandoned to you. I need all of you. So let me challenge you this morning as you come to seek Jesus first in your life. Seek Jesus first in your family. And seek Jesus first in the church that we worship him in. You come this morning and let's pray together. Father, we do come as we are. But remember when you spoke in your word to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and all these things will be added unto us. And Father, this year we pray that as a church, as a people, we'll seek you first. Seek you first in our own life. Seek you first with our family. To seek you first in our worship, in our church. And Father, help us to seek you as you've challenged us in your word. And Father, this morning we pray as your people that you would put in our hearts, Lord, to go after you as you've come after us. As you've loved us first, help us to love you. Help us to love one another and pray one for another. Father, I want to pray for Anne and her family passing of Donald this past week. I pray that you'd continue to comfort them, be with them. Lord, give them strength and peace, and Lord, help them, Lord, to heal as they go through time, this time in their life, in the days to come. Father, we want to thank you for who you are. We want to thank you that you're a God who loves us and cares for us, and Father, we're here to worship you, 
Lord, to help us to seek you first in worship. Lord, I pray you'd bless this service. I pray you'd bless the time that you've given us to be together. And Lord, may you be glorified, may you be worshiped, and may you be honored. May you have the preeminence in our hearts and our lives and all that we have. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. With a heart of worship, I'm bringing in a brand new song. I'm ready to see the unthinkable. I'm ready for a miracle. Hearts praying for a fresh encounter. Souls looking to the living God. I'm praying for a real revival. Oh, Holy Spirit, come like a flood. Bye. 
Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise. What wonderful singing this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19. Um, we've been doing a series called Questions and Answers where we've been trying to answer some questions. This morning I'm going to ask you a question that only you can answer. Every person in here must answer this question. And the question is this, are you preparing for eternity? You could say, how am I preparing for eternity? Or things like that. But are you preparing for eternity? Jesus shares this parable, the parable of the minas, and it's talking about eternity. Now, if you have your Bibles and you turn to Luke chapter 19, stand with me, and we're going to read verses 11 through 27. Very long parable. I'm not going to go through every verse like I normally do, but just make some points. Now, notice what Jesus says. Now, as they heard these things, and what that's talking about is pointing back to Zacchaeus' salvation in verses 1 through 10. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately, they had the wrong idea of Jesus' mission. A lot of people do today. They have the wrong idea of Jesus' mission. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman, which is Jesus, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And what Jesus is saying is this to us today is that I lived my life, I died, I rose again, and I went to heaven to receive my kingdom. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. Now look at that. This, this is what he's telling the church today. Do business till I come. He would say that to us as a church. Do business till I come. And then he would say that to you as an individual. And you have to answer that question for yourselves. Because you're accountable for you. You're not accountable for me. You're not accountable for your, your, your family. You're accountable ultimately for you. Do business 
Till I come, and the question I ask myself is this. Personally speaking, am I doing God's business with my life? Am I? That's the question you have to ask. Are you preparing for eternity? And the answer is yes, you are, one way or the other. And then he goes on to say this. He says, but his citizens hated him. Speaking of the Jewish people who did not like Jesus, and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. And by the way, it's a choice, is it not? Jesus is your king or he's not. That's a choice you'll make every day of your life. Who's your king? Nobody's going to make you choose Jesus. Nobody's going to make you do that today. You'll be accountable for that decision you make. But nobody's going to make you. Notice. But the citizens hated him and sent a delegation and said, We will not have this man reign over us. So it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, this is talking about Jesus coming back, he then commanded his servants whom he had given the money to to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first man saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in the very little. Notice, you were faithful in that much. God's not asking a whole lot out of any of us. Look, you were faithful, and look, this much, very little. That's what that means. He says, because of that, see, see how generous God is? You have authority over ten cities. And the second man came saying, Master, your mina has earned five, your, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you'll be over five. It's like Jesus said, you barely got up and went to church on Sunday. I'll put you over five. That's what he's saying. He didn't say well done to him, did he? He didn't. He says, your, your, yours, yours brought five, Jesus. And he says, okay, you'll be over five. Then another came saying, Master, here's your mina, which I've kept put away. This is the Baptist guy, right? I put yours in a handkerchief, probably a pretty handkerchief. He got it at Lifeway, all right, and had Bible verses on it. I put yours in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you're a steer man. You collect what you did not deposit, reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I'll judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? That my coming I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten. Now listen to me. The mina means we all have the same time. Okay? Well, what he's talking about, a mina is your opportunity. We all have it right now, right? We have 24 hours in a day. We all have three things in common, even though these vary. You have time, you have talent, and you have treasure. That's your mana. And we all have the same opportunities to use those at different degrees, but the same opportunities. And then he says this, verse 25. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas, for I say to you that everyone who has will be given, and for him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those... Here are those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, what a convicting set of scriptures. These are the red letters. And Lord, I'm reminded that Jesus' followers even had a wrong idea who he was for a while. And Lord, you, you ask us to be faithful, as your word says, in a little. Not a lot, but a little. And Lord, I pray that we would. What a difference it'll make for eternity. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you do. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. What a difference you make. Father, as, as our choir sang about, Lord, you forgive our sins. You forgive them all, past, present, and future.
past, present, and future, that's, that's just hard for me to grasp. And Lord, you offer salvation. You offer a, a new beginnings, Father. You offer eternity with you. And Father, I pray that no one here today would say, I don't want this man to reign over me. I pray that we'd surrender to you as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And Father, as your church, Lord, you've asked us to be faithful over just a little. And I pray that we'd do that today. Lord, we individually have to make that decision. No one can make it for us. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you're doing. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Eternity. Listen to what the psalmist says. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. Think about eternity. How long is eternity? Ecclesiastes Solomon says this, the wisest man who ever lived. He said, God has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. If you study history, of all the history that we have, almost every civilization is spiritual at some point. You might worship a rock. You might worship a tree. You might worship a person. You might make up some god. Thor, Zeus, all those things. You might be like the Egyptians and worship the river, worship the sun, worship the moon. Why? Because Solomon says this, God has set eternity in everybody's heart. Nobody truly believes you just die and just die. Nobody believes that. The world doesn't make sense, does it? Nobody believes that. He says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We just can't comprehend eternity. Isaiah says this, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. Wilbur Chapman used to say this when he would preach, the preacher of old. He said, a thousand years from tonight, we shall be somewhere. Think about that. Ten thousand years from tonight, we shall be somewhere. And he says, increase the multiple and you only increase the truth. You're going to be somewhere for eternity. Now let me ask you a question that only you can answer. Where are you going to spend eternity? There's only two destinations, heaven or hell. Where will you spend eternity? As of right now, living like you're living, loving the things you're loving, where your faith is right now, where it is right now, I don't, I don't care what you did when you were eight years old. I'm talking about right now. Can you honestly say that if you died tonight, and we might, you're going to spend eternity with Jesus? The preciousness of heaven, Revelation 21 and 22, I wouldn't miss that for nothing, would you? Jesus told a thief... I preached in prison two Fridays ago, and I said, man, the last person Jesus talked to was a thief who was guilty. And all he said was this, will you remember me and you come in your kingdom? And Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise forever. If you can beat paradise in Jesus, tell me what it is. Tell me what it is, because I want in on it, don't you? I don't think there's anything better than paradise in Jesus. And think about the thief, guilty his whole life up until the end, and Jesus said, come. And the other thief on the other side didn't want it. And Jesus said, then you won't get it, right? Where will you spend eternity? As of right now, don't think about tomorrow. Don't, don't think about yesterday. As of right now, where will you spend eternity? Think about this. One place in the Bible, it says, the peace of the righteous. Now listen to this. The peace of the righteous is everlasting. Think about how many days, especially if you're over 40, that you've had peace. How many days? But God says there's coming a day when you're going to have peace and it's going to be everlasting. That's amazing to me. He said the doom of the wicked is without end. Where are you going to spend eternity? 
there's one heartbeat between you and eternity. And I would encourage you to turn to Jesus. This parable speaks of this. Jesus had just led Zacchaeus to the Lord. If you'll look at verse 10 of Luke's gospel in, in chapter 19, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's his mission. That's our mission, church. See, that's what Jesus goes right into this parable saying, we all have the same opportunity. You may not preach every week and thank God that you don't. You may not teach every week, thank God that you don't. You know, I wish I could sing like Ben. I wish I had hair like Ben, but I don't. All right? I don't. But I do preach. That's what God's called me to do, and that's what I do. But you have opportunities with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers who don't know Jesus. Jesus said in Luke 19.10, God, that he has come while he was on earth to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's our mission. Because there's two eternal destinies for everyone. Jesus said in the, in the parable that there was a nobleman who's gone to another place to receive his kingship. Okay, and that's the way they did it back then. They'd go to Rome and they'd say, Herod would go to Rome and, 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 and the emperor would say, I'll put you over Jerusalem or I'll put you over Jericho or I'll put you over wherever, Right? So they understood what Jesus was talking about. And he said, oh, before I left, I gave certain of my servants the same minus, the same opportunity. And then he said this, I want you to know that I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And when I come back, you'll give an account of what you did with what I gave you. See, everything you have, God gave you. Your personality, your, your uh, health, your emotional makeup, all these things... God gave you. So when we think about this and we think about eternity, the first thing I see here is an eternal kingdom. One man said this, why does Jesus tell this story? It's actually brilliant. The parallels really fit. As soon as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he realizes that people expect him to take the throne and become king. But Jesus knows that's not, Jesus knows that's not what's going to happen, at least the way the people expect. He's going to die, he's going to rise again, he's going to the right hand of the Father, and then he's going to come back. Eternal kingdom. Notice the verse, verse 11. It says, Now as Jesus, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. That was their great thought, is that he would appear immediately. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus' kingdom. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 9 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. What Isaiah is prophesying is there's going to come one who will be born of a virgin, who will eventually set up his kingdom, and that kingdom will have no end. And his reign will be righteous, it will be just, and it will be fair. We've never had a government like that in the history of the world. We never have. We never had a, we've never had a king rule like that. Daniel prophesied it this way, and in, those, in, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Now think about this. Daniel prophesied... All these national powers, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then when he's, when he's prophesying, us, even before they happen, he says there's going to come one that's going to crush them all. He says, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. That's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. Micah says, but as for you, Bethlehem, 
Too little be, to be among the clans of Judah. From one, from you, one will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Talking about Jesus. The prophet Zephaniah says, Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult in your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. That one's coming. That day's coming. Then when the wise men came, they came to Jerusalem and they said this, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? When Jesus preached, the central theme of his preaching was this, The kingdom of God has come upon you. The chief accusations against Jesus and his arrest and his trial was that he claimed to be a king. The Bible says in Revelation that when Jesus comes back, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is the king and his kingdom is eternal. Now notice verse 12. Jesus said this. That's what all that's talking about there. And then in verse 12 it says, And a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. And then this is the rest of it. And to return. Okay, so you have an eternal kingdom. Jesus is going to heaven to receive it, and then he's coming back, okay? He could come back at any moment. There's nothing left to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back. But when he comes back, that means a lot for us. Notice the second thing here. You see eternal kingdom, and then every person hearing the sound of my voice this morning again, an eternal reward. Notice the verse on the screen. Jesus said this, So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. That's God's mandate for your life. Think about this. Since you've been born again, what business have you been doing? One scholar puts it this way. This parable makes explicit that citizens of God's kingdom are responsible to work toward God's goals and purposes. In this parable, the king tells his servants directly what he expects them to do, namely to invest his, and the thing Jesus used as an example is just money. Now think about this. Think about this thought. Your one job until Jesus returns is to faithfully invest everything he's given you. Now in the Old Testament, Jeremiah said this about the children of Israel. Cursed is the one who does the work of the Lord with slackness. He says, if you do even do it with slackness, it's bad. One man said this, though you may not stand before a congregation week by week, you work with people who need to hear the gospel. You have a family that is lost and under the sentence of death. You have friends who are lost. You're responsible as a servant of Christ Jesus to tell others of his love and his salvation. You have the same opportunity as any other Christian to do the work Christ has assigned to each of his servants. Now think about this. The miners represent you got the same opportunity as I do. We all have shared three things in common. If you'll notice, notice these, time, talent, and treasure. We all have the same amount of time in a day. What we choose to do with that time, though, is of utmost importance to God. It may not be to you. You may think, well, I'm just sleeping through a Sunday afternoon. Maybe you are. Maybe you deserve that rest, right? Okay? But if you do that for your whole entire lives, what have you done for the kingdom? See, you're going to give an account for your time, and I'm going to give an account of my time. And, and God said this, you are faithful in that much? How much of that do you give God each week, each day? How much? Because you're going to give an account. Your talent, your treasure, all those things we'll give an account of. That's what this parable points to. The life you live today will determine your life in eternity. Think about that for a moment. Eternity is not going to be the same for everyone in heaven. Oftentimes we ask, is my life amounting to much? Does my life matter? Yes, it does. You might say, no one notices me. Does anyone see what I do? Even if it's a small thing, 
Yes, God does. You may never be recognized in your lifetime, but God sees it all. Rewards will be the tangible evidence of our love for the Lord. Listen to what Genesis 15:1 says. Even in the Old Testament, it talked about rewards. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram, who eventually became Abraham in a vision, and said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Psalm 62, 12 says, With you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. The writer Paul Rodney of the church at Rome says, For we must all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Daniel Webster said this. You remember Daniel Webster who had the dictionary? Back before they didn't change words based on the culture or what the news station said. Remember a definition was a definition? Remember those days? They, must be, they might be gone now. Okay? We're changing words all the time now that don't mean anything. He said this, the great fear of my life is knowing this. This is what he said. Webster's Dictionary. The greatest thought that has ever entered my mind is that one day I'll have to stand before a holy God and give an account of my life. A good God-fearing man says, I worry about that day. Listen, being judged should be something that motivates us to live for Jesus, not cause us to fear. Some of the final words Jesus said are in the book of Revelation. He says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render each man according to what he has done. When we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the purpose of the judgment will not be to punish unfaithfulness, but to reward faithfulness. That's what Moses had in mind. When Moses, when the writer of Hebrews says this, Moses regarded disgrace for the name of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead for his reward. Moses was motivated by a long-term reward. Notice verses 16 and 17. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. He said to him, Well done, good, really good and faithful servant. Because you were faithful in very little, you have authority over ten cities. Think about that word. Look, he says you were faithful in very little. If you look up the word faithful... When, when Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, one thing he says about them is this, you're faithful in Christ Jesus. Over and over again, the Bible mentions you are faithful. When Jesus writes to the church in the book of Revelation, he writes to the church at Philadelphia and calls them the faithful church. You're faithful. Think about, are you faithful in your time? Paul told the church at Ephesus, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And what he's saying is this, there, there are times in our lives when we have an opportunity to do something, but that opportunity soon goes away. Over and over again, I've shared with you times when I've had opportunities to witness and didn't. And that opportunity never came back. Remember the truck driver? True story. Stopped in. I prayed about witnessing to this guy. Seven to eight years later, I get an opportunity and don't do it. My opportunities never come back. Ever. Ever. It never came back. It's not come back to this day. The person may be dead. I hope he knows Jesus. He don't know Jesus because of Jamie Steele, though. Because I was too scared to share my faith in that opportunity. Time. Think about this. You're faithful with your time. Since COVID, they've, they've noticed differences between church members. Look, he says, he says most church members now are becoming church consumers. Most church members since COVID, in two years of research, we found out, instead of becoming members of a church, they become consumers of a church. Now, here's, here's some signs that you're a consumer. Number one, your worship attendance becomes optional. I mean, just look around you. It's become optional at East Hazel. I ain't being mean or mad or ugly. 
It's become optional for a lot of people here. Just don't mean much anymore. Come and don't mean as much as it used to. All right, number one. Number two, you replace in-person attendance with digital attendance. I thank God for our live stream, for people that are sick and people that can't make it, people that are on vacation, thank God for it. But that's not church. It's just not. It's church if you're shut in. It's church if you're sick. It's church if you can't make it. Really, you're going to give an account. God calls the church the bride of Christ. Listen, number three, your attendance to Sunday school is declining or you stop attending completely. That's happening to these tales. You went from membership to consumer real quickly. Let's look at the numbers. Since COVID, what's happened? People got out of coming and then instead of being a member, you become a consumer. Your attitude toward the church is more critical. Your giving declines or stops. Why? Because it's not about being a church member. It's about being a consumer. You're, you critique sermons instead of listening prayerfully. You see church as a place to meet your needs instead of your meeting the needs of others. You readily move to another church when your needs are not met. Alexander County. Now let me read that one again. You readily move to another church when your needs are not met. You get frustrated at what other church members aren't doing. I remember one time I preached a message talking about being critical, and I had a mirror. And I said, complain about something at church, and they did. All right? I wish we had more people in the choir. I remember holding that mirror in front of somebody. And I said, well, okay, you're the answer for that. I wish we did more evangelism. I said, you're the answer for that. I wish our giving was higher. And I said, yep, you're the answer to that. Right? People become more critical of things that, they should, that other people are not doing. And then finally, you just don't share the gospel. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you a member of East Taylor Baptist Church or are you a consumer? How many of those 11 just, just fell in your lap? I don't know. I can't even hardly see y'all anyway. Okay? I can't see. Okay? I mean, realistically. Just, just see, the reason I say that is because you're going to answer for the very little God's asked you to do. I mean, one hour if you don't come to Sunday school. 52 hours a year. Good gracious. I know guys that will spend six months on deer hunting. They kill one deer. Okay? They kill one deer. And I asked for deer jerky last year, and y'all didn't give me none, so I hope you miss everything you shoot at, all right? You didn't give me none. I prayed for you. I prayed for you and didn't get none. Think about your talent. As Jesus shared this, he says, we all got some spiritual gift or talent, right? We all do. If you're a born-again Christian, you do. Peter says this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Think about that. God has gifted you to serve somebody else. When the choir sang this morning, did it not bless you? Do you realize that not one of those choir, choir members have to sing? Not one of them have to. They don't. They don't have to sing. What a blessing that is. What a blessing it is when you sing at a funeral. You, you can't put price on, you can't put monetary gain on that. That's eternal stuff that I can't do it. But if God has blessed you to do it, why don't you do it? I'm amazed at the number of, of high school students that would sing in the chorus be a member of a church and never sing in the choir. I never got that. I never understood it. If I could sing like you, I'd sing all the time. Right? Your talent. Aren't you thankful for your Sunday school teacher? Steve, how long have you been teaching? 48 years. It even hurt him to say it. You all right, brother? That's been a long time. Hey, that man right there is as influential as any pastor this church has ever had. Started out with how many? 
Six people. 100 plus on a roll. All right? He don't have to do that. You got a business. Busy. Do you realize how hard it is to teach? It's so difficult. It's hard to study. It's spiritual warfare. Those of you that do the little kids, God bless you. All right? I mean, thank, thank you. Aren't shouldn't you be thankful? See, that's how God's gifted you. That's the talent that God has given you. Think about it for a moment. You're, you're, use your gifts for God. Listen to what Paul told the church at Ephesus. Now, I want you to hear this. This is for every one of us. For we are his workmanship. Think about that for a moment. You're God's workmanship. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. Don't care what you've done. It's none of my business. You're his workmanship. God will use what you've done. Listen. God will use what you've been through, all right, to help other people. I just spoke in a prison and understood everything those guys were talking about and going through. All right? You're his workmanship. Now listen to what else he says after the comma, for good works. You are. Now think about that for a minute. You are. Think about just, just this past year or the past two or three or four years. How many good works can you add up in your life? Now God sees the little things, right? The little things. He said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, God sees it. Nobody else does. It's a good thing. Look, the, the small things, the small things God will bless. Think about it for a moment. Your gifts, Paul says, you're not your own. Glorify God in your body. Now look, he says in Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship. That means God's taken all the mess we've been through, all that we are. See, God can take your bad reputation and use it for his glory. Amen. Aren't you thankful? God can. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now listen to this which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And let me tell you this. Do your good works or God will let somebody else do it. Verses 24, 25, he says this. The guy that didn't use it, give it to the guy that did. Give it. Take it from him and give it to somebody else. He's not going to use it. That's how God operates. Listen, I had an opportunity to become pastor of this church. How many, how many resumes did we get the first week? Like 50? It came with pictures, didn't it? So he said, they sent pictures, all these people, you know. And I sensed God wanted me to be the pastor here. If I would have said no, you know what God would have done? You think the kingdom's stopping? Somebody else would be preaching here. Somebody else would. If you don't, hey, listen, guys, those of you, we asked to be deacons, you said no, we just got somebody else. You understand? Those of you that don't teach and God's blessed you and called you to teach, if you don't, we'll just use somebody else. All right? Those of you that don't sing that can, you heard Ben and Amanda sing this morning. We were blessed. Thank you for singing, by the way. You don't have to. These people work, have kids, have grandkids. Look, use it for God's glory. You don't realize the impact you're having on somebody else. You crew leaders at Bible school, God bless you. That is so wonderful. That's just as important as what I'm doing right here. Okay? What a blessing. You don't realize the seeds that you planted in somebody else's life. You don't. God says, look, you were faithful in. I wish I had a shirt that said, I do very little. But God can make a lot out of it. Amen? Very little. He's not asking you to pastor a church. He's asking you to do that much. And he says, I'll bless you in this life and in the life to come. 
And then he says, you got time, you got talent, and then treasure. God has blessed us all somehow. Aren't you thankful you live in America? We live in America where God has blessed America. Think about, think about just this. Now, this is a financial thing that he's sharing, but think about this for a minute. Solomon said this, the richest man probably who's ever lived said this in Ecclesiastes. And he was rich at the time. He says, those who love money, I mean, you love the money, will never have enough. They asked Ted, uh, what's his name? He owned the Braves. I can't remember his last name. Anyway, I already forgot him. Yeah, Ted Turner. They said, how much money's enough back when he had billions? He said, just a little bit more. Solomon said this, those who love money, never going to have enough. You can't work enough overtime. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Listen to Solomon. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Amen. Now listen. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? He says this. People who work hard sleep well. Whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep because they love their money. Now listen to what he says. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. Every funeral I've preached this year that had a casket, every grave's the same size. Every one of them. And there's nothing in those caskets you can take with you. I remember at the height of Tiger Woods' fame, I love watching Tiger Woods play golf, by the way. I looked up his house. I mean, it's beautiful. Guy's worth probably close to a billion dollars now. And then as I studied that week, I don't know why, I studied that week on something like this, and then the thought came to my mind, I wonder who's going to leave his house to. You can't take it with him. Colonel Sanders said this. He said, there's no reason to be the richest man in the cemetery. You can't do any business from there. Bill Gates will leave his money to somebody else. Treasure. How much, how much of your treasure do you give to the Lord, and how much do you keep for yourself? Jesus said this, do not store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there your desires, the desires of your hearts will be also. He says, no man can serve two masters. For you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Allow your money to work for you. Bless yourself and bless others, amen. He says, just a little, just a little. How much little are you using for the Lord? I heard a story, and I've shared it here before. It's a true story about a man who bought some authentic gold coins while on a business trip. It's amazing that somebody said you could put all the gold in the world in two Olympic-sized swimming pools. Not a lot of gold. You'd think there's a ton. There's just not a lot, Okay. And it's so rare gold is, okay? It's worth a lot of money. He says, this man bought some authentic gold coins while on a business trip, and he wore it every day. It's very expensive and quite heavy. They were taking a flight off the coast of a resort. The plane went down. The pilot and three other men with him swam safely to the shore. But this guy had a dilemma. His money belt with the gold held him down. He had a choice to make. Take off the belt and live, or leave the belt and maybe die. What would you do? All that gold. Hardly ever depreciates. Worth all this money, so valuable, so rare. The guy swam with a belt. Okay? By the time he tried to make it to the shore, it was too late. The newspaper ended up saying this. He died. He said this. Did he have the gold or did the gold have him? 
Now, when it comes to treasure, do you have the gold or does the gold have you? Why is this important? Notice the last thing, an eternal destination. Notice what Jesus says, and the Jews understood this. It's not like Jesus is killing everybody, all right? He says, bring here those enemies of mine. You remember the first part of the parable, they said, we don't want you to reign over us. You said, okay, who do not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. What that's a picture of is ultimate judgment. You're either saved or you're lost, born again or you're not. Every person in your family is either born again or they're not. And they have an eternal destination. That's why God says it's up to you to share the good news with them. It's good news. Hey, listen, do you know somebody that, uh, that's greedy? The answer to greed is Jesus. You know somebody that's sexually promiscuous? Okay? The answer for that is Jesus. You know somebody that's got an addiction? A lot of people do. Nothing to be ashamed of. The answer to that is Jesus. Have you ever met some just mean people? Go to Walmart. You'll meet them. All right? You know the answer to that is Jesus, right? It's Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the answer for everything. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? And then if you have, how are you going to be remembered? Look at this picture on the screen. That's a long time ago. Anybody know this guy? Heaven knows him. You ever seen the movie Titanic? I'm pretty sure this guy was not in the movie. He should have been. I want to read this. Wade Burleson posted this on his Facebook this week. and this You may have heard the story before. But listen, I'm going to read it as he wrote it. If I can find it. He said, the night the Titanic sank on 1912, April 14th, 1,528 people went into the frigid waters. John Harper, this man right here, after putting his only daughter on a lifeboat, was seen swimming frantically to people in the water, leading them to Jesus before the hypothermia became fatal. Reverend Harper swam up to one young man who, was, who had climbed up on a piece of debris. Reverend Harper asked him between breaths, are you saved? The young man replied he was not. Harper then tried to lead him to Christ, only to have the young man who was near shock reply no. John Harper then took off his life jacket and threw it to the man and said, Here, here then, you need this more than I do, and swam away to other people. A few minutes later, Harper swam back to the young man and succeeded in leading him to salvation. Of the 1,528 people that went into the water that night, six were rescued by lifeboats. One of them was this young man on debris. On the debris, four years later at a survivor's meeting, this young man stood up and in tears recounted how John Harper had led him to Christ. Reverend Harper had tried to swim back to help other people, yet because of the intense cold, he had grown too weak to swim. His last words before going under in the frigid waters were this, Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. How do you want to be remembered? I didn't know this guy. Don't know him. All of heaven knew him though. Probably had a church of about 30 people back in those days on a ship. And God put him to the test and he led people to the Lord. If you read some of the accounts, historical accounts of the Titanic going down, there's a lot of bad men who took the place of women on lifeboats, not John Harper. Which one are you today? Which one are you? I'd encourage you to place your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you're here today and you never have, I'd encourage you to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Will you stand with me as our musicians come? At this invitation, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, you can come up here. Our staff can speak with you or you can pray right there. We'd encourage you to do that. But for every born-again Christian here today, listen, you're going to give an account to God one day, and I am too. 
And God asked you to give him that little. You're faithful in a little, he said. That, that just spoke to my heart. That the things that we don't think mean a lot to God, they do. They're good. God sees it. God sees your heart. He sees your motives. He loves that you love serving him. Just being faithful to church is such a blessing. Make a commitment today to make your life count. Nobody knew John Harper. I didn't know about him until just last night. But all of heaven knows about John Harper and what he did. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Listen, this is your time to make things right with the Lord. And after I pray, this altar is open. If you need it, if not, just pray where you are. Let's pray together. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, help me to be faithful in a little. With my time, my talent, and my treasure. Lord, what a joy it would be to lead someone to Jesus. This day, Monday, Tuesday. Father, there are people in this congregation this morning who've never placed their faith and trust in you. And I pray that today, Lord, before the sun sets, that they'd make things right with you. Father, there's nothing greater that's ever happened in my life than being born again. Father, I pray that you'd save for your honor and your glory. And then, Lord, help us as the church, Lord, to be faithful. One word, it means so much. It can be life-changing for a community. It can be life-changing for a church. Lord, just help us to be faithful and long for your return. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. And Lord, I'm reminded there are people here that need your touch. There are people here that need you to just, Lord, invade their lives and bring, bring healing, bring restoration, and bring deliverance. Lord, only you can help the brokenhearted. And Lord, I pray that you do that, even now during this invitation. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray. This altar's open. If you need to pray, you respond as Sharon leads us in a song this, this morning. for being here today. Listen to me. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I'd love to talk to you about that. Mark, Kevin, and Justin would love to talk with you about that. That's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. It's the most life-changing decision, eternal decision you'll ever make in your life. And if you're a Christian here today, I would encourage you to give God just a little bit of your time, of your talent, of your treasure, and just see what He can do with it. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday and hope to see you back here Wednesday night. You're dismissed. Sharon, singing was really